So I've titled this message, Real Life. It's kind of a unique time in my life, and I like to share my life with you when I preach. I don't think it's just about giving the Word of God. Paul said, I gave myself and the truth, and I like giving myself to you. So, Fourth of July to me is a really special holiday. My dad was a World War II veteran. In fact, if you watched the president's salute to our country the other night, it was really awe-inspiring to me. But as he went through each branch of the military, when he spoke about the Air Force, he uh, talked about, actually it was the Army Air Corps in the day, the raid he talked about. But he mentioned the um, Air Force in the early days during the bombing raids during World War II on the oil fields of Palesti, Romania. And those attacks were said to have broken the back of Hitler's war machine as we destroyed the oil fields there. He had no oil to fuel his tanks and everything else, and my dad was in those raids. In fact, he was a nose gunner on a B-24 Liberator, and he was shot down over Romania and became a POW, and he was a patriot. So for us, Fourth of July was always a big hoopla time. Parties, aunts, uncles, cousins, all the soft drinks we could drink, nobody was watching, just grand days growing up as a kid. So 30 years ago, I woke up on the 4th of July. We were visiting my parents' house in South Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I'd spent the night on a recliner. Didn't sleep that great. I woke up about 6.30 in the morning. And the reason I didn't sleep that great is my father was on a bed next to me dying of cancer. Woke up at 6.30 in the morning, got up, checked on Dad. He was burning up with fever. And no lie, 7.04 a.m. on the 4th of July, my dad went to be with the Lord. And I was with him. He was only 65 years old. I was only 35. So I'm in this contemplative mode because now I have a 36-year-old son and I'm 65. So when I turned 65, I mean when the bell rung on New Year's Eve, which is my birthday, I'm like, all right, Lord, is the clock ticking? Do I have my dad's gene pool? Is it something in the genes? Am I like, is this it? Am I going to die as young as he died? And so I've been contemplating this whole year so far. I've already outlasted him by two months. So I got hope I got my mom's gene pool. She lived 86. And I'm like praying at least I can split the difference. You know, give me 10 more years. This whole time, I've been looking back over the 65 years of life, and I remember all of it from about five on. So over the last 60 years of my life, I'm kind of re-examining what it's been like. And you know, life's ha- life has ups and downs. It's not just smooth sailing. Yeah, I surrendered to Christ, and I've been just glory all the way. 
So I'm looking back over my life and I'm looking at like sections of life that I found the most fulfilling, the most rewarding, the most invigorating, the most life-giving. And I'm, I'm looking at patches of life that I'm thinking, holy cow, how did I survive that? Times where I couldn't sleep at night wondering if the other foot was going to drop, wondering if something I did was going to come to light and I was going to get busted. And then I'm saying, all right, Lord, let's say I outlast my dad. Let's, let's say I got five more years, maybe 10, well, maybe 15 or 20. Do I hear 25? How, how much more time do I have and what do I want that to look like based on everything I know about the past? So it's been this time of contemplating, and I'm kind of in this no-man zone right now, wondering what the future holds and what my part in it's going to be. I want to share with you this morning a chunk of Scripture that I view as one of the most important in the Bible. But I, I want to pause here, and this is the only service I remember to say this. I think there's a country song about the red letters in the Bible, like, they're more important than other letters in the Bible, and it's really, really critical for us as Christians in this day and age we live in to know that this whole book is inspired by God. God breathed the words of Scriptures, and the men who wrote the Scriptures were born along. The actual Greek is they were like in a sailboat, and the Spirit of God was moving them along to record the actual exact words God wanted us to have. So whether it's red letters or black letters, it's God's Word, and we need to know that in our day and age because the book is under attack. But this passage to me is one of the most precious in the whole Bible. Um, anybody here ever hear of a harmony of the Gospels? It's a Bible study tool. A harmony of the Gospels, you can see it on the computer. I, have, I like books. I like real books. I can hold my hand. I can underline I got a memory to where if I underline something on a page of a book, I know at least what side of the page it was on and roughly where it was, how far in, and I can find it. Electronically, I'm lost. It's like, so I like books. So I have a harmony of the Gospels. I pulled it out preparing for this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic Gospels. A synonym means basically different words that have the same meaning. Those three Gospels are written by three totally different guys looking at the life of Jesus from little different angles, but they have a lot of similar things in them. So when you look at the harmony of the gospel, you'll see there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, they're all telling the same story, slightly different words. But when you get to this passage at the end of John 13, John 14 through 17, which scholars call the upper room discourse, The synoptic or the uh, harmony of the gospel just goes like there's a line across it. Now it's just all John. John's the only one that addresses what Jesus taught the disciples after their last last supper in that upper room. He had just a little bit of time and he always knew his calendar perfectly well. He knew exactly where he was on the divine calendar. He knew this was it. This is my last real 
teaching time with these guys that I'm leaving the mission to. So what he teaches in John 14, 15, 16 is critically important to know about. In fact, I've been wrestling with what to do in the men's group this fall when we start back up on Monday nights. I'm going to teach John 14, 15, 16, and 17. I invite you to come out and check us out. We meet right here. They said the clock doesn't matter on this service. Is that right? No. I've been fighting it, man, the last two services. So, this was a chaotic week for the disciples. You know, Jesus called them, and they dropped everything in their world to follow him as the Messiah. They kind of thought, he's like going to set up kingdom, and we're going to be ruling with him. But now, this week, he's been talking about like he's going to die. They've heard Satan desires to sift you like wheat. He's at the table doing the Lord's Supper with them this last night. And it it says when he reaches for the bread, he was troubled in his spirit. Jesus had emotion. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And then Peter goes, I, I will die for you. You know, the rest of the disciples are saying, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Judas blended in so well, they weren't really sure who the betrayer was. And Peter says, not me, Lord. I, I would die for you. And Jesus said, you'd die for me? You're going to deny me three times before this night's over. So now these guys are like frazzled. What is going on? You're going to be killed. Satan wants to sift us like wheat. One of us is going to deny you and three times before the night's over, and one of us just flat out betrayed you. What is going on? The wheels are coming off this thing. So he starts John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What I want to talk about today is real life, and I want you to know that Jesus modeled real life. And I want us to, uh, I got ADD a little bit, so instead of just going like through John 14, 15, 16, I'm just going to grab one here, grab one there, and use what I need to communicate what God's laid on my heart today. But Jesus modeled real life, and I want you to look at this scripture We're going to the prayer in John 17, verses 4 and 5, and Jesus uh, breaks away from the boys after his final teaching, and he gets alone a little bit, and he has this time of just talking to dad. He knew what he was in for, and he says to his dad, I glorified you on earth. I glorified you. You know what? That is the overarching purpose of every Christian's life, to bring glory to God. To glorify Him in all our ways. What does it mean to glorify God? It means make Him proud, make Him look good. Jesus said, I glorified uh, glorified you on earth. And the way He did that was I accomplished the work that you gave me to do. When you read through this prayer, you'll see I gave them your word. You know, I did this, I kept them that you gave me except the one that scriptures might be fulfilled. 
And it kind of lays out the work that Jesus had to do leading him to the cross. Do you know, we teach our children like, I see this t-shirt all the time, it kind of annoys me. Girl power. You can be anything you want to be. I don't care if it says boy power. You can be everything you want to be. Is that true? I'd like to play golf like Tiger Woods. Is that ever going to happen? No. You know, the, the reality is we are all limited by genetics and a whole bunch of other things, mental horsepower. And the truth of the matter is you cannot be whatever you want to be. What we ought to be teaching our kids is you can become exactly what God put you on this planet for. When he knit us together in our mother's womb and he fashioned us and he gave us our genetic makeup and our personality profiles and the way we operate, he had a specific purpose in mind for your life and my life on this planet. And we find fulfillment when we find that purpose. And Jesus is our model. He not only was God in human flesh, but he was the perfect human being, the model of what we all can look to and say, I want to be like him. He knew his purpose, and when he got to the end of his life, he could say, I have glorified you, Father, because I finished what you sent me to do. Now, there's no way any of us can come to our deathbed, even if mine is this year, and say, I've glorified you, Lord, because I did what you wanted me to do, even though I never had a clue what it was. I am so thankful when Gail and I started going to church, and I became a Christian at 21. I'd been on Scott Pilot up to 21. And the Lord, by His grace, intervened and saved me from my sin and myself and made a connection with me. And one of the things I learned in my early Christian experience was being a Christian isn't about going to church. It's not about checking boxes. It's about now you're reconnected to God and you have a relationship with Him. And you can talk to him. He's a living God, and he's a communicator, and he's come to live in you, and his spirit lives in you, and he's given you his word, and he's fully capable of talking to you and leading you and steering you through life. And so from 21, when I trusted Christ, to 25, though for four long years, Gail and I were saying, Lord, we feel like there's something more you want from us. What is it? It's a little church of 200 people, but... I wanted to be a state cop back in those days, and I remember this one little old lady, her name was Mrs. German. She would come up to me, and she goes, Scott, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a state cop. She goes, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> She'd pat my hand, and she said, I'm praying God calls you to be a preacher. And I mean, for years, I'd walk by Mrs. German, and she'd always say, I'm still praying for you. Praying God will call you to be a preacher. And we prayed, prayed. 
Lord, what is it? You want us to be missionaries? You want us to be, what, do, what do you want us to do? Teach Sunday school and build houses like I'm doing now? What do you want us to do? We're willing to do whatever it is. One night, we're in a service. My heart's beating out of my chest. I know it's time. It's time to take, take a big step. I'm married, got two kids, bought her, bought her home. I'm thinking, okay, I know it's time to go prepare, but how am I ever going to convince Gail to sell her house and take her two little babies and move off somewhere? And I looked over at her. She got tears running down her face, and she says, it's time. It's time to go. Man, I got way off track on all that stuff. I'm dangerous. <laughs> Jesus modeled real life, but those times of surrender and seeking are some of the times when I look back and the most fulfilling times in my life and then knowing what he asked me to do and put my hand to it with all my energy, like going back to Bible college as an old man of 25 with two kids and knowing that's what I was supposed to do and saying that's my purpose, I will do it with passion. They're the best times. Jesus modeled real life. He knew what his purpose was, and he accomplished it. Now, this next one, I, I really hope you grab this. is still under the, Jesus as our model. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, John 14, 8. Show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. It'll satisfy us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? Now watch this. And the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now wait a minute. Do you know who Jesus is? The same book of John portrays Jesus as in the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus. Later, the Word would become flesh and dwell among us. And the Word was, and by its tense, always was with God from the beginning. And by Him and through Him and for Him, everything was created. This is the creator of the universe here, Jesus, the Son of God, who came down here and modeled for us what it looks like to be human. And he said, do you know what? Even though I am God, I didn't, think, I didn't think it's something I had to grasp onto, but I was willing to humble myself and become a man, humble myself, become a servant, and then ultimately go all the way to the cross so I could show you guys what it looks like to be a real human and to live real life. And so he said... I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. And a little later to these same guys, he said, and just as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so when I go out, I don't say the words I speak, hey, they're mine. What I say is I am in him, and he is in me, and anything I do for him has to be him doing it through me, just like he modeled and you can read that all through the Gospels, that he always attributes everything he did, everything he said, everything he taught to the Father who was in him. 
And he did that for us to be able to see what it would look like for you and me as Christians with Christ indwelling us through the Holy Spirit to live out our days on this planet. We do it exactly the way he did it. And the huge fringe benefit of this is three, four great things. John 14, 27. And I really like this better in the New Living, so I'm going to read you that. You can read it up here. He said, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And then he says in uh, John 15, 9, this verse blows my mind. As the Father has loved me. Now, think about God the Father and the love he has for God the Son. I have that same love for you. I'm telling you, folks, when you surrender to Jesus Christ and you come into his world, you come into this security cocoon where there's peace of mind and heart where there's this eternal love that's unconditioned and is extended to you and me as part of the family, just an eternal love. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. When you embrace the Savior and all your sin is taken away, you're embraced into that family. And look at this one, John 15, 11, I told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So let me ask you, When you look back over the last year, how much of it could you say would be, you know what? Man, the Lord has shown me why I'm here. I've embraced it with passion, and now I'm serving him with gusto, and I'm going for it, man. I, I know God's using my life, and man, the best way I can describe it is I can barely contain the joy. Now, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just asking the question. Compare your life to that description. I met that guy. Man, it's been convicting me ever since. The guys are going to Camp Anderson. I met the guy that runs Camp Anderson. 59 years old. A couple years ago, he's a project manager in Atlanta, making over $300,000 a year. Running a little kid's camp on the side in the summertime. Lost his lease. Some guy calls him and said, I heard you lost the lease for your camp. What, what's your ambition? Would you like to continue a camp? Guy said, I want to meet with you. Give me your vision for a, a camp. Guy's a Christ follower. He said, here's my vision. You know, disciple, young people, grow them up in Christ. Give them a heart for the community. All this stuff. And the guy goes, I own the land on the Suwannee River used to be a KOE campground. It hadn't been functional for five years. It's yours. Guy comes back, says, what's your vision for this property? Guy's drawing up buildings, all this stuff. Two weeks later, contractors roll in with permits and blueprints. The guy that gave him the land invested another $4.1 million in that property. And this guy's saying... I think I'm supposed to be here. I think God might be in this. 
So one of the guys and I went up there, spent the night to look at the camp, and this guy, his wife, and his son work there, and there's no time clock. You don't need a time clock when God's called you to do something and you have an opportunity to do it. He said, my boy will be out there on that tractor till 11 o'clock at night. I see the lights out there going up and down the field, you know, as he's working on this camp, getting it ready. And while I was there, I said, Lord, I don't know how much time I have left, but if I could do something with my family to serve you like that, I will die doing it. All right. How do you have real life? It's a really great question. We saw Jesus model it, but how in the world do I do that? How do I have real life? Well, I'm glad you asked because in the five for five, I'm actually going to teach a course the fourth Wednesday night on how to follow God's lead in your life. So come back then and hear. But I'll tell you what I know right now. John 17, 1 through 3, look at this. When Jesus had spoken these words, that is 14 through 16, the last teaching to the boys in the upper room, now he's talking to dad. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. All through his ministry, different things would happen. He'd say, my hour isn't here yet. My hour isn't here yet. My hour isn't here yet. And now he says, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask this room this morning, how many of you are Christians? Most of you would raise your hand. And if I were to ask you why, some of you would say, well, somewhere along the way, I say a prayer, said a prayer. Some of you might say, I was born in America. All Americans are Christians, aren't they? You know, I don't know exactly what you would answer, but I want to ask you this question. Do you know God? I mean, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? You see, if we're going to have real life, we've got to be connected to him who is life. Because the Bible says, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. There's another place that says, uh, those who live for pleasure, talking about widows, are dead while they live. We are the walking dead. There's zombies all around us. Look like they're alive, but spiritually we're dead. We haven't tapped real life yet. The only real life happens when we know God. And the only way to know God, next verse. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. How many of you have internet? You have internet-capable devices like a phone or 
iPad or something, and you don't want data charges, so it's great to be on Wi-Fi. So let's use the internet to illustrate God, the all-knowing God. If you come to my house for a life group and you want to connect to the internet, you have to go through a device that's in my house called a router. And that router has a password. God the Father is the internet. He knows all things. Jesus Christ is the router. You can't connect to the internet without going through the router, and you need the password. And the password is Jesus Christ died for your sins so you could be connected to the all-knowing God who knows you intimately, knows how he designed you, knows what your purpose is for life, and wants you to fulfill it, and he wants you to enjoy it as you do, so much so that you could say the joy is just spilling over. And he wants us to tap deeply into that real life through a living connection found in John 15. Found in John 15. I am the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You know, Jesus would have said that was true about him when he was here as a man, that I abide in the Father and the Father through me produces the fruit. And now we say as a Christian, he abides in me and apart from him, I cannot do anything of eternal value either. All right, almost done. We only have two options, guys. We go through life disconnected, and you're the best we get. Or we go through life connected, and out of that abiding relationship with him, he can take a stingy person and make him generous. He can take a selfish person and make us selfless. He can take somebody who thinks they could never talk in front of a crowd and make a preacher out of you. He knows how he designed you, and he wants to bring that to full bloom. As you walk in relationship with him, he'll teach you, he'll groom you. There are seasons of waiting, and there are seasons of harvest. But I'm going to tell you, without that life, true life, you don't get real life. All you get is you. And I'm going to tell you about that. Our church does this thing called Style of Influence. It's SOI. It's a, a profile that kind of shows how you're wired and how you work and how you work best with other people. And when I did my SOI, they said my score was SOL. <laughs> they actually had an expert come into the church on a Saturday morning and teach through the SOI profiles. And I wasn't able to make it that day, but I heard this through the grapevine, that when the class came in, they put my profile up on the screen, and the guy says, have any of you had to work with this guy? <laughs> and that's exactly what the whole room did, was laugh and groan and like, oh yeah, we know him. And so they say my profile is basically, I can't even say it up here, it's, it's, it's not nice. It's not a nice person. And so I dream up big ideas. I got a lot of energy. I get big ideas, and I'm going to go for that idea. And if you get in my way, you're either going to jump on board or I'm going to trample you. And, man, I have trampled 
people and relationships and left a pile of rubble behind me pretty much everywhere I've been when Scott's driving the train. Your greatest strengths can be your greatest liabilities when you're in control of them. But when you're surrendered to the Lord and it's Him living through you and it's Him using those things He gave you for His purposes, those things can be sharp tools of leadership and service and ministry and helping people and lifting people to the people that get to see Scott controlled by the Spirit say, man, we love that guy. But the people that got to see Scott as Scott go, geez, I never care if I see him again. And the only difference is surrender and connection. Darnisha is going to come and play a closing song. I'm going to give you, I, I can't preach and not give you a way to respond. It just doesn't seem right to me. And so on the crosses on both sides, on the tables, there are these white cards that say, yay, God. And on here is perfect for this service. The first block on here says, I entered into a relationship with Jesus for the first time today. Some of you might have thought you were Christians, but when I asked, do you know God? You had to say, never really looked at it that way. That's what being a Christian is, is knowing God through Jesus Christ. Do you know him? If not, or you're not sure, go to one of these stations, get this card and mark on there, I'm going to enter into relationship with him today. And then just from the cry of your heart, say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want Jesus in my life. I want you to lead me. I want to fulfill your purpose for me. For those of you that say, I know him. The second line on here says, I recommitted my life to Jesus today. So when I'm preparing for this sermon, I'm floating around the swimming pool praying. And let's see the picture. This is all that keeps coming to my head. And I'm in a spot right now where I'm saying, Lord, what's, I got one good run left in me. What do you want me to do? How can I best serve you? Is it in Uganda? Is it in Bay Life serving the men? Is it going to Bristol, Virginia with my son and building a homeless habitat? Well, what do you want me to do, Lord? And what I did is dated this check. July 7th, 2019, paid the order of my heavenly Father. And in this cash line, I put whatever, wherever, whenever, and I signed it, Scott Rank. I'm yours. I'm the most fulfilled when I am doing what you made me to do, where you made me to do it, when you want me to do it, that's when I'm most fulfilled in life. And I want to spend the rest of my days doing that, Lord. And I'm waiting on you to fill in the check. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to spend these days I got left? I'm asking a whole bunch of you to make that same choice with me. There's space on that card. Just draw a check on there and sign it. 
To my heavenly Father, you fill in the blanks, Lord, whatever you want me to pursue. However, wherever, whenever, my life is yours, and I want to fulfill the destiny you have for me. This sermon may be just for me at this season of my life, but I've found the best sermons are the ones that work me over first, and you get to hear and listen in. I believe the fruitfulness that happens from real life and the connection with God is everything that comes out of this fountain of life. So it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of influence, it's joy overflowing, it's peace of mind and heart. It's all that comes from our connection to God. That's the fruit of real life. Man, I hope every one of you get to experience that if you haven't. And I hope all of us can plow ahead to the finish line, which isn't that far off. And when we get to the end of the race, we can say, I've glorified you, Lord. I've done what you asked me to do these last years. And I've made you look good. I bring you glory. Let me pray. Father, thanks for today, for your word. Bless this group of people, Lord. May they hear from you. And may eternal transactions happen here today because we've been together in your presence. And we'll give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you.